0: Hi everyone. Hopefully you can hear me and see me and uh, hope you're having a good Sunday. Welcome to this live stream on Existential Delight. My name is Dylan and I'm going to be with you for the next hour to two hours just talking about my conversion to Catholicism. Uh, Let me first of all just say thank you for being here. If you're here live, that's really awesome. It's nice that uh, I'm not sitting here talking to the wall. But even if I was at least this video will be on the channel in future. So if somebody ever asked me about my conversion again, I at least have a place I can refer them to, which is, which is handy. I've put off making this video for so long because I've tried to create a scripted version of this, but it's so hard to script, um, the the events that led to my conversion um without it sounding contrived and without it sounding inauthentic in a way um and in a sense you know just just being here right now on a live stream it's difficult to to honestly break down why i have ended up at the place i am and and not and not in some way notice myself trying to cater things or say them in a way that's maybe a little bit more palatable um it's it's very hard to be authentic and i figured that well this is probably the closest i'm gonna get to ever sitting down with you in a in a coffee shop and just talking to you um person to person and explaining the the kind of stepping stones i went through to get to the point of belief So that's why I decided to do this live stream. That's why I'm going to be talking to you for the next however long the stream is going to be. And uh, I'm not going to rush it. But I am going to follow a kind of uh, I have a few kind of general points that are going to guide me through this. So I don't ramble too much. But here and there, I will just allow myself to go off on tangents, because um, there's so much that I could say. And I, I don't want to forget something. I don't want to miss, uh, leave something out because so many times in, 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 interviews that I've been on, and other podcasts, when people ask me about my conversion, I always have to give a short, quick version. Well, this, this video, the point of this video is to really give you, uh, the full story as much as I can. And I know it's not going to be just because you can never fully capture the whole, the whole story. Having said all of that, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try and be as authentic as I possibly can be. I'm going to try and be as honest as I can be. That means there's going to be a certain level of vulnerability. Anytime you put something on the internet, there's a, a little bit of courage that needs to be involved, right? Because you've got to be vulnerable. So I'll do my best <laughs> to do that for you today. Now, today I am a Catholic. I'm confirmed in the Catholic Church. I live in South Africa, which will come up. I'm South African, I should say, born and raised, and that will come up in the, in what I explained to you. I'm also going to be talking about books and thinkers that have influenced me on my journey. Uh, next to me here, you can't see them right now. You can see a little bit of them here, but I've got a, two big piles of books here that I'm going to be pulling out of as we go through. And I'm going to be pulling out books that I was reading at certain points uh, during the last five to ten years, and how these books shaped me and the ideas they gave me. I'm not going to just give you a set of arguments though, right? So there's plenty of wonderful channels online that you can go and check out um, where you're going to find Catholics providing arguments for their beliefs and kind of apologetic work. And there's a lot of great stuff like that online, but that's not really what I want this video to be. Um, it's, this is really just my experience now. I ended up where I am. Now here and there, I will explain how certain arguments persuaded me or convinced me, but this is really not going to be um, (laughs) an apologetic uh, video. That's not my intention at all. So take everything I say with maybe a few grains of salt. Good. So I'm also happy to answer questions. So if you have a question, please drop it in the chat. I'm not going to wait till the end to check the chat at certain points periodically throughout the video. I will pause whenever I've made a big point. I'll check the chat. and If there are any questions, I'll do my best to answer to the best of my ability. I'll try and be as honest as I can. And if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll just tell you, I don't know the answer. Good. So let's start off really at the very beginning, which is the faith I was raised in, which is Dutch reformed Calvinist. I'm in South Africa. So, I was part of what is called the engie Kerk, which translates to the NG Church, uh, the Niederreitster, Gereformeerder, Dutzer Kerk, basically the Dutch Reformed Church. And a very conservative um, Afrikaans church, very, um, I would say, in some ways, very strict, very culturally strict church. And I, I don't have any negative memories of that church because frankly we didn't go that much but when we did go you know and uh, we did attend that was my idea of what church was that was my idea of uh, what religion is or what religion was and being raised in that uh, I got a little bit older and as I was growing up um, my dad was kind of always he would say things like things that were very agnostic so he'd say things like you know for all we know god could just be um uh god god could just be an ineffable entity that we can't comprehend that just that just uh, puts things into existence and is impersonal which is not a very christian thing to say right but my dad was a christian but he kind of had this i think wrestling with agnosticism Um, he, he kind of went back and forth between what we can know about God and what we can't know about God. And that already from a very young age kind of set me up to see religion as something that can be questioned, something that can be contemplated about, debated about, philosophized over. So it wasn't off limits in that sense, because I saw my father being willing to question, uh, what seemed, you know, things that you shouldn't question. Now, uh, it's very important to my development to mention that, unfortunately, at the age of 11, my father passed away, my dad died. And uh, it was obviously extremely traumatic. You never really get over it. You just learn to live with it. And at the age of 11, I mean, when your father dies, I mean, when you go back to school, you're not back at school with your friends, your friends are still in childhood, they're still embedded in a completely different world you have just effectively woken up (laughs) you're in a completely different world your their worries are no longer your worries their concerns are no longer your concerns um they're thinking about this weekend uh with their friends you're thinking about mortality and death and god and that was really the beginning stage for me you know i uh, suddenly uh, mortality was all i could think about you know why do people die you know, why would a good God take away my father at such a young age? And those questions were hitting me at a very, very young age, right? I was already thinking about these things at age 11, 12, 13, and entering my teenage years, I was just kind of alienated from my friends, because I just had been through something that ended my childhood effectively, right? It it, it, well, it didn't end it, but it kind of it, it forced me to mature at a rate that is not going to be pressed upon somebody who's not going through something like that. So that's a, that's a huge part. So um, I have a few notes in front of me. So if you see me looking down, that's just what I'm checking. But yeah, so morality, uh, mortality basically is entering my thoughts at that point. And then I'm kind of... W- Bizarrely aware and painfully aware of the fleetingness of life, and there's a real insecurity that enters in because one day everything seems stable and okay, and suddenly the next day it's like, well, everybody I know could just die, uh, everybody I care about could just could just go at any moment. There's really no security, and that's a heavy burden to bear, especially when you're that young, and I think it breaks a lot of people. I think for a lot of people. Losing a parent at a young age can either send you in a very negative, you know, you can go in a very negative, uh, you can go a very negative route or route. And for other people, it's, you know, they instantly adjust and they adapt. They they, they don't have a choice. I was very fortunate that I had a larger family that was willing to help, right? Um, my whole family, extended family, everybody, the next day, they were all at our home, we had a huge support structure. Um, I had uncles, uh, positive fatherly role models in my life that took on the helm to, to guide me so that I wouldn't end up in, unfortunately, I had to say some of the places I did end up later on, which will come later in the story. But for the most part, I ended up okay. I didn't end up that bad um, after even despite, you know, what I went through so these questions are in my mind and then i'm going into high school and then in high school you know we're not really attending church at this point um now and then maybe we're going to church but it's 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 like negligible right it's like we're doing it when my mom kind of wants to do it and when the time's right and somebody invites us and and when i'm there i'm just it's 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 not resonating with me in any real way then my mother remarries a Portuguese guy who, funny enough, was raised Catholic. He's still my stepdad today, a great guy. We get along very well. And he uh, he's going to a Protestant church, a kind of non-denominational evangelical church, which uh, is in two languages, English and Afrikaans. So we, we start attending this church. And now I've got a stepbrother. I've got two stepsisters from from my my mom's new husband, his kids, and me and my sister. So we're now a much bigger family. We're attending church. And this is during high school. I started learning to play the guitar. I still play the guitar today. It's one of my great loves. And so I decided to, I offered to play in the, the band at the church. And so my stepbrother and I were both playing instruments and we're both playing in this band. We also have our own band going at the time. We're performing And at the same time, we're performing our own shows, writing our own songs, and at the same time, we're performing for this church band every week. And so we get kind of really embedded in this community. And it's during this time that uh, we meet members of the same church who are part of a ministry group called Freedom Feet, which is not going anymore, sadly. And Freedom Feet, it's going to sound, it's, it's going to sound hilarious, but Freedom Feet is effectively a breakdancing ministry group that would breakdance at prisons and breakdance at schools and would then minister the gospel. And the guys who were doing the breakdancing were all people that had been saved in some way. So, former drug addicts, uh, in some cases, former former convicts, people that had a really rough life leading up to this and now were, um, you know... Uh, break dancing and preaching the gospel and i didn't do the break dancing i would have done more breaking than dancing but i played the guitar in their band so we would perform live music while these guys would break dance which was pretty interesting and our drummer at the time was also the drummer for our own band uh, he had an electronic drum set so he could he could mimic the the kind of the sounds you would expect to hear uh, in break dancing music he could mimic that with his drum set so we You know, we kind of fit in pretty nicely there. We would go on church camps with Freedom Feet. Uh, We would dance and play music and all the rest. And that was kind of my my high school life. This kind of going away on a church camp, coming back, feeling revitalized. And some of the church camps, I mean, really got me pumped up. You know, I used to come back and I was just, you know, amped and on fire for the Lord. And I have very fond memories of that time. Then, as time went on, um. I'm still in Freedom Feet, but then I start going to college. I studied music at college, specializing in the guitar. And my stepbrother and I were both there. And it's around this time that I start discovering apologetics. And I start discovering the kind of defense of Christianity. And the debates around Christianity. Which I'd never really been exposed to before. I was very much living in a bubble. And this is all happening around the new atheist movement. So I'm suddenly, I I remember starting off finding videos by Ravi Zacharias. And remember this is long before all the scandals involving him, right? So back then he was just kind of this solid apologetic guy and he had a very positive influence on me at the time because i found his arguments very interesting and i noticed something about myself which is that i had a a deep enjoyment for ideas um i i I could sit and think about an idea or an argument and feel excitement and joy at a beautiful idea expressed in a beautiful way right so uh, there was something very satisfying to me about an argument that somehow scratched a itch that i had inside of me and i i i i kind of started to notice that in myself with the whole apologetics point and seeing that in debates play out was for me very interesting now watching watching these guys um, debate, I'm suddenly exposed to Christopher Hitchens, I'm exposed to Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, all of the new atheists and all of the other atheists kind of surrounding that movement. So Matt Dillahunty, The Atheist Experience, all of these uh, online uh, personalities as well as these published authors who are doing these public debates. And I'm watching these debates and I remember being quite convinced by the atheists. And thinking that the Christian arguments were good, but the atheist arguments just seemed to kind of win me over. And I think in some ways it was really Hitchens. Um, Hitchens personality really grabbed me. Um, I think in some ways I wanted to be like him. I wanted to uh, be uh, very uh, persuasive in my speech. I wanted to be a good speaker. I wanted to be compelling in my argument. And even though at first I didn't agree with Hitchens, uh, he was such an incredible orator. It's the same with Alan Watts, which we'll talk about him later. But the the ability to speak was so in a sense mesmerizing that I wanted to listen to him. And I almost in a way wanted him to be right. I, I felt like I, I wanted to be on his side. And there was also something kind of subversive and edgy about, you know, I'm not just a non-believer. I have all these reasons and I have all of these arguments and I have all of these um, these uh, lines that you've never thought of, because you, you're from a small town, and you've never read a philosophy book, and you just don't know any of this stuff. And there was this real pride for me, right? Now, this is not absolutely not the case for 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 many, many, many people. But again, this is just my experience that was definitely looking back, there was an element of pride in in uh, in being able to shoot down people's uh, views of religion. And those views of religion within that context at that time might have been very kind of, uh, I don't know, wonky and 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 ill-informed. So it was very easy for me to come along and kind of verbally execute them as some kind of uh, atheistic fatality. And um, just having a quick look at my notes here. So what was interesting is, I had a lot of frustrations with the Christians in my circles, especially, um, you know, um, at the church I, I was attending, the church I mentioned earlier that we were going to as a family, there were Christians there who I perceived as very hypocritical, um, very, you know, a lot of sin, right? As you would expect, right? But, you know, at the time I just thought these people, man, you're so petty and you're so jealous and you're so this and you're so that, of course, seeing it in everyone, but not seeing it in myself, right? And, um, the atheist arguments kind of galvanized and, uh, provide justification for my frustration. It kind of made me feel like, Hey, I'm actually right to be angry, um, at, at Christianity. I'm actually right to see these people as putting on a mask of morality when really I know that they're terrible, terrible people. Of course, you know, CS Lewis said you would expect Christians to be terrible people because, um, oftentimes there's a reason you needed to be saved, right? However, I digress. So that was justification for uh, my anger and my frustration with Christians. The New Atheist Movement really galvanized that. And I think there was a lot of personal frustration and a lot of personal guilt I felt at the failure to live up to this kind of Christian ideal, or at least my very ill-informed idea of what the Christian ideal was at that time. There was a lot of guilt forming on top of that. And it just kind of felt so good to one day, I remember walking outside and thinking, what if there's no God, right? And I'd I'd heard all of these arguments. I had all of these frustrations. And... um, The atheists were convincing and it was like i said it was edgy and it was different and i could i could be smart and i had something unique about me that that finally set set me apart and it was like a whole new identity and it was so exciting and then i remember thinking what if there is no god and then then it's almost like what we think of today and today's online dialogue as like a red pill it's like you realize oh my goodness Every everyone is deluded. Everyone is buying the story that's totally false, and they're not seeing the real story that's going on. Does this sound familiar to you in the year 2023? I'm sure it does, right? That's how it felt. It felt like the scales, ironically, it felt like the scales fell from my eyes when I believed at that time there is no God. It felt like, wow, I'm Everyone is so deluded. Everyone is so. I mean, just listen now. <laughs> listen to what this sounds like, right? But this is really the experience it was like. It's just everyone is nuts. Everybody's talking to themselves. Everybody's going to church and wasting their time. Everybody's praying to themselves. Everybody's um believing fairy tales effectively. And it just felt like I was one of these people with my eyes open in a world full of just idiots that's how it felt right it felt like this red Pull before this whole idea before Mencius small really even used that term in the way we use it today right so atheism felt like almost like this conspiracy theory that that was like it's true it's really true there is there is no god and and there was something exciting about that there was something uh in a way you know it sounds it might sound pervasive but it, there's something beautiful about that this kind of free identity that I'd suddenly acquired and you know that line be beware of unearned wisdom right it was it was kind of like that it's just like this feeling of wisdom and intelligence above everybody else Um, and you know you know what's what's really interesting is if it's such a deep conviction If, if, if you think if you think there is no God it doesn't really matter how much somebody else has studied or somebody else has researched or it, it it's all irrelevant whatever your qualifications your academic background if you think that the idea of God is just total nonsense then however much reasoning you give and logic you give and however much academic study you've done you're still below me because you're still willing to believe in a fairy tale that was my that was how I felt I was that guy driving down the road, I'd see a billboard of of Christ. We have billboards like that all over in South Africa. You'd see a billboard um, with a Bible quote. I was that guy who would scoff. I would go, oh, seriously? Um, <laughs> Christian billboards, this propaganda on my highway. I was that guy. I was that angry, bitter atheist. I was just angry at the world, right? Um, if I could, I could put it maybe one way, it's like, the anger i felt at christians i i i can't even imagine feeling that way towards atheists now right i can't imagine feeling that anger towards anyone now uh, and and that was that was really a defining feature because it's not that i was just defining myself as something it's that i was defining myself against something um, and again, this is not the case for everyone. I know people um, will hear what I'm saying and say, "Oh, I'm saying atheists believe this." I'm not. I'm just telling you what I what 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 it was like for me. That was my experience. So that was a point. Atheism was like a red pill, and it galvanized my frustrations with Christians. And then, <laughs> interestingly, while I'm studying music and I'm in I'm in my guitar lecture uh the 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 lecturer the guitarist the main guy he uh he's with us we have like i don't remember if it was a free lesson or like extra time or just an open period where we could just relax But we weren't working we weren't learning so everybody was just kind of relaxed and he asked us can i play you guys something that i that i think is really interesting and of course, we looked at the lecturer, and we were like, "Sure, you can, you can play us something. Why not, Mr. Lecturer?" And he played us a video by this guy I hadn't heard of before, and his name was Alan Watts. Okay, so, and I don't, rem- I haven't been able to find the lecture that he played that day. But I know at some point in the lecture, Watts talks about like paintings and how how weird it is that we hang up paintings, and you know, very postmodern, right? This it's weird that we hang up paintings and we look at. Sp- splashes of art and we we find it enjoyable which is kind of which is kind of weird but it's it's beautiful so um he's he plays alan Watts, and i just remember thinking well this is really interesting i i should go and check this out sometime and i actually didn't for quite a while i think maybe a few months until i actually went and looked for myself and tried to find this this guy and, and get into his work but that was my first moment of exposure this really unlikely moment um and i often think about how how that day like me just being in that class and the lecturer just happening to play us a clip of watts uh, how that affected my life really in the long run it's 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 crazy to think about so the lecture introduces us to alan watts but now as an atheist well i'm i kind of took it to its logical conclusion i'm like well if 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 there's no god then I can kind of do whatever I want because, you know, I came from, I had this kind of very strict notion of what you can do and what you can't do. And I came from this real notion of feeling like God was watching over me. You know, Hitchens described God. Um, I mentioned Hitchens a few times. Let me just grab, uh, where is it now? Hmm. i actually don't have the book here next to me but i was going to pull out god is not great oh here it is okay so you know hitchens kind of talks about god is like this celestial north korea right one of his famous lines and in a way that's kind of how i felt about god like he was watching me uh, like constantly and regulating everything i did and i had to kind of live within these very strict boundaries and not because I felt that those boundaries would bring life to me. You know, I now see that the boundaries of Christianity are not the walls of a prison. They're the walls of a playground. They're there to allow good things to run free. But I didn't think about it that way at the time. I thought it was walls of a prison. And I took, when I became an atheist, I really took it to the logical conclusion. I was like, well, if I'm a heathen, (laughs) if I if 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 there is no god well i can pretty much do what i want i can smoke weed i can um i can engage in activities that i would have f- thought were wrong prior to that things that i that i'd held out on i could now allow myself to do without feeling guilt um of course i still felt guilt of course uh, because I I now realize that you know your conscience is written upon your heart it's not about what you decide to believe but really at the time I thought well I can pretty much do what I want now that doesn't mean I went around uh, committing crimes or anything but in terms of just small uh, day-to-day acts of difficult decision and acts of having to exercise one's morality I just felt like there was a lot of pressure off of my shoulders now And so, it's around that time that I got into uh, psychedelics. And the first one was just cannabis. So, um, I'm with a family member and they offer me some and we have some. And it's just, it's just amazing. It just completely, at the time, it just completely changes. I mean, I'm a young guy. I'm in my, I think I was maybe very early 20s, if not 19 and it just completely opened me up to a side of my mind that I hadn't thought of before, hadn't even thought could be there before, because I'm coming from this really strict materialism. And suddenly I'm looking around the world, and the trees are beautiful in a way I haven't seen them before. They no longer just look like, you know, matter bouncing around in a specific way. I now see a form to the tree. I see a. Uh, I see a reason to the tree, if I may be so bold. I see a logos, you know, an ordering principle around me within reality itself. And that was strange to me that that I hadn't seen that before. And I, I don't think you need to take something to see that, but that was, again, my experience for good and for bad. That was my experience. And I don't recommend it, but that was my experience. And um, of course, that's when I'm now really getting into Alan Watts. And I I I cannot tell you how much of a of an Alan Watts fan I was. I I, I think every Alan Watts fan thinks they're like the biggest fan. Um really, I think like any mildly obsessed person with Alan Watts, I think they really believe they're the biggest fan. And I'm completely in that category. I I think I listened. I've listened to hundreds of hours of lectures by Alan Watts. I don't think I could go to bed without listening to a lecture of Watts. I don't think I could, I could drive to work without listening to a lecture. Um, I'm reading his books. I I'm reading the collected letters of Alan Watts, letters he wrote to Carl Jung and uh, people he's, he's, he's talking to. I actually read this digitally and I've eventually managed to get the hard copy. I'm reading this, this book was like, I mean, I've probably read and reread this uh, three times. <laughs> I, I wanted to say like 17 times, but it's probably only three times. Uh, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are. Um, really very interesting book right i'm not trying to knock watts right i'm i'm just trying to express to you how obsessed i was with this guy um become what you are another classic watts book really really good um and then and then the one that changed everything that actually made me l- l- become disenchanted with watts is watts's own autobiography in my own way right he, the book he wrote about his own life is actually the book that made me lose my enchantment for him but i'll get to that later let me first just talk about this deep obsession i had with Watts, and and maybe why it was there i'm coming from i'm coming from this very dry arid lack of spirituality i'm in the desert effectively i've i've rejected all claims of the spiritual I'm very much a materialist very much uh, the universe is just mindless matter bouncing around there's no rhyme or reason it's random there's no one in control we are evolved apes simply doing what evolved apes do and we will die and return to the dust and when we die our experience ends so there won't be anything conscious to experience it'll be just like it was before you were born and I'm and I'm suddenly introduced to Watts, and he is just talking about these everyday experiences you're having, but he's talking about them in the most beautiful ways. He's talking about them in the most spiritual ways. He's talking about them in interesting, insightful, curious, um, provocative ways that 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 leave you. That leave you rethinking how you view the world, and that's that's one of Watts' greatest strengths. He's so good at talking about ordinary things in an incredible way. It's the reason I love Chesterton, who we'll will get to him much later, and I'm excited for, I'm excited to get to him. But but yeah, so I'm I'm really into Alan Watts, and I am becoming gradually less rigid in my atheism. I'm gradually moving towards agnosticism. I'm gradually moving towards the idea that the world is stranger than I think, okay? That my my presuppositions of the world are limited by my own experience and my own knowledge that I simply cannot know. um, I cannot know much about reality and even though science using various instruments and various tools can tell us incredible things about the world um those tools are still limited right um those tools are still limited to specific ranges those tools are still limited in certain ways that we can't even really fathom and it takes i think what's kind of showed me that it takes a little bit of humility to admit that i actually Actually, there's mystery to life, and 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 it's weird because that sounds like a fun, playful thing to do, but it can be very difficult to admit that, because once once you admit that there's mystery to life, it means that there's things you don't understand, and that that's okay, and you want to engage. You you should engage with that mystery, and that's something that I'll always be grateful to Watts for. One of two things I'll always be grateful to him for. The other thing is that he introduced me to Chesterton, so. Having said that, I'm into Watts, I'm listening to his work, I'm thinking about him all the time, thinking about these thoughts all the time, and then I I, I want more. I I want new ideas. So I remember very vividly going onto Google, searching Alan Watts, and then going to the People Also Search For section on the page, and i i wanted to see what are some other people that google is recommending along with watts and the first name there was a guy called terrence mckenna okay so man <laughs> this is a whole other other um, side of the story so we're still we're still moving right so we've we kind of went from the protestant in the beginning we then got to the atheism i'm now moving to an agnosticism and this is all happening very gradually right but these steps are happening logically according to my experiences are kind of in the agnosticism and um, i'm kind of in the smoking cannabis stage being curious about the world again. Um, reality is not as boring as I thought it was. What's is kind of revivifying my 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 intuitions about the world and my insights about the world. And then Terrence McKenna comes along and I hear about the heroic dose. And I remember the first video I watched of McKenna's on YouTube. It's still on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. It's called The Message. Um, and that video, I, I, when it finished, I messaged a friend and I said we have to try what he's talking about in the video, which is something called the heroic dose. And this just led me into this whole world of psychedelics. And my gosh, I'm, I don't advocate psychedelics. I really believe that every, every guy that gets out of there, there's, there's nine guys who don't, and I know them. I know them. They're friends of mine, right? Guys who get into that world and they just can't get out and you can see things from the outside that they don't see from the inside and it's scary and I, I i don't even like talking about it because i don't want people to to idolize or to turn psychedelics into an idol um but i can't tell you the story without talking about them i can't i can't tell you how i became a christian without them being part of this conversation i i i I really believe God came into that experience and pulled me out. I don't think that the experience took me to him. Okay. Very, very important point. God pulled me out of the experience. It didn't take me to him. Um, I think people see a lot of things and experience a lot of things on psychedelics, but I don't think they are, are, uh, they're not step four on becoming a Christian on the list of how to become a Christian, right? It's, it's not even the same list. It's, it's, a, it's a completely different thing. And it's a thing people need to be extremely, extremely cautious of without going into that too much. Cause I don't want the conversation to be dominated by a specific point. Let me just say that, um, I, my materialism, my atheism was completely destroyed once I started engaging in that world. Uh, Terrence McKenna's challenge, completely obliterated, decimated my atheism. I suddenly looked at the world as, to quote McKenna, not only stranger than I think, but stranger than I can think. So it was almost a deeper level from the realization that Watts gave me, which is that the world is stranger than I think. No, it's actually stranger than I'm capable of thinking. And now it's like, okay, I'm trying to find guardrails. I'm trying to find balancing beams i'm trying to find some kind of structure to operate within and so you have to you have to kind of create your own boundaries and so you'll see people in the psychedelic world who will they'll immediately start creating rules right and the mo- one of the most common rules you'll hear about is set and setting right and it's 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 a ritualization of the experience and people are trying to implement it and if you know if you go to uh, psytrance festivals like i used to you'll see young sadly yes. Sadly, young inexperienced people who are taking these things and you'll see older people who are much more experienced coming and telling them hey you're doing this wrong and they're almost like it's it's just like you know um, a religious leader coming up to a young person and saying hey um you know what you just said is kind of her- heresy uh, you shouldn't do it that way let me show you the right way to do it and that's um that's that that begins to happen and you start to create rules for yourself and you start to create structures and you start to view these things as gods in a sense. You'll hear people talk about psychedelics as the sacred plant and the sacred mother and the trickster and you know, people use archetypes and idols and ideas and god names and all these things to describe this experience they're having. And what what, what psychedelics did for me is they kind of made me realize that um, well the feeling that they gave me was that there is really no separation between my mind and the world outside that in fact the 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 the, the sensation that i am inside my body is completely an illusion that actually the self is the totality of experience and the reason this resonated with me so well is because it aligns so perfectly with everything I was listening to, uh, I was hearing from Alan Watts. Alan Watts would also t- often talk about this Hindu idea of Atman is Brahman. Atman is like the individual consciousness and Brahman is the universal awareness of the world, the universal consciousness. And he would say that Atman is Brahman. That feeling of self, that feeling of the individual locked up inside of the body is identical to the universal conscience. it is the world. The world is mind or soul or spirit or whatever word you want to dis- you want to use. what you're looking at in- out-, out of you, what you're observing is the observer. That was the idea, and psychedelics absolutely give people that sensation, the, the 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 sense of ego dissolves completely, and the boundary between oneself and the world around oneself completely goes away. Okay, so that was that was the experience. Now, <laughs> let me let me let me take a pause because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you now what I want to tell you next is is about how that experience and what's these two are lining up how did i get out of that how did i ultimately come to see that that boundary bound boundarylessness that lack of boundaries that psychedelics give you how did i ultimately come to see that that it that doesn't really describe the nature of reality i'm gonna have a, i'm gonna tell you in a second but i want to have a quick look at the live chat if you've got a question let me know in the chat i'm gonna have a quick look and see what you guys have said um, again, welcome if you're here, if you've just joined us, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's nice that you guys are making some time to be a, uh, father, John Brown, SJ says, thank you for the story. I had a similar experience with when my four year old brother died when I was seven. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's like I became an old soul quickly, but I was a cradle Catholic. So I had ways to understand it all. Yeah. Um, father, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry to hear that um and I, I love what you said about it's like you become an old soul quickly i can really relate to that when my father died uh, y- you know i i, I use the ter- i use the term it forces you to mature uh, before you're ready to mature um well said yeah it's you, you people des- people describe me as an old soul it's like sometimes i wonder how much of that old soul was was there because of the experiences we go through right and it's not there from birth then yeah. Hitchens was one of the best speakers, but you never bought his atheism, I see Father John also says. Uh Keenan Keenan, shout out to Keenan. Guys, you should check out Keenan, his music, Keenan LoFi Beats. Keenan, just send a send a send a link in the chat and I'll share it with everybody, man. Uh, Keenan makes great music, uh, great musician. He's been a f- a f- a supporting the channel for for years. Awesome guy. And uh, Keenan says, Alan Watts was the great spellcaster. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you say you had the same experience. Maxon says, just getting started from the beginning, but did GK's book Orthodoxy help you? It has helped me. Oh my goodness. Uh, Maxon, Orthodoxy changed my life, man. Orthodoxy changed my life completely. Uh, That book is like, man... Other than the Bible, obviously, that no other books impacted me as much. Um, I'm doing a sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter breakdown of that book on the on the channel. I've done the first four chapters, and I'm currently busy on working on chapter five. I love that book. It's I'm going to talk about it later, so I won't get into it now. But yes, is the answer to your question, Maxon. Thank you for your question. Father John says, this reminds me of Sartre dealing with the look that he had to contend with. No matter how much he felt, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, that feeling of, of, of guilt, that feeling of awareness that something is watching. You know, you, you want to tell yourself, well, no, I, I shouldn't feel guilty for doing this because it's permitted. And yet, oh, there's something telling you, something, something within and above you kind of pressing down on you your conscience weighing on you. Let's see... Yeah, Maxon says Chesterton is the goat of apologetics in apologetics in my honest opinion. Yeah, I would agree because if you look at how my, if you look at how many guys were influenced by Chesterton. I mean J.R.R. Tolkien was influenced by Chesterton. C.S. Lewis was hugely influenced by Chesterton. C. S. Lewis said that one of the reasons he converted was because of Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, right? Chesterton had such a big impact on me. It's the reason I'm wearing a capelet right now, right? So like Chesterton is I mean, yeah, let me not get into it. I'll get into it later. <laughs> and then Let's see. I'm just going to read a few more guys and I'm going to continue with the story. Thank you for your questions. Existential delight, have you gotten into the Catholic mystics yet? If so, who are you studying and why? Um that's a great question, Christopher. I I'll, I'll say I at one point I touched on man, um I'm forgetting his name now. There was a mystic that I got into, but only because actually because Alan Watts talked about him. But I'm gonna say no to your question because I haven't gotten into them enough. Let me know in the chat who do you recommend I start with? Right? Assuming I've read no mystics, just who would you recommend I start with? Um but I I, I love I love uh I love mysticism as well, so let me know. And then Father John says, I hope you talk about Jonathan Peugeot. He got me to sub to your channel. Yeah, I'm going to talk about him a little bit later, Father. Thanks for that comment, definitely. Okay, guys, so let's jump back to the story. So I was telling you... Oh, please forgive me. supposed to put this thing on silent. So I was busy telling you guys about how my experience on psychedelics perfectly mapped onto the ideas that I was hearing and learning from Alan Watts and how the, I how psychedelics dissolve the boundaries between yourself and the world that the observed becomes the observer, etc. And how did that kind of, how did I kind of get out of that world? Okay. Well, there's a few things I want to say here. First of all, um, I would, I, and, and we're actually getting now closer to, we're about to exit, the new age phase, because this is when I was still very new age, and um, we're going to start moving into Christianity, and then we'll get more specific, and we'll get to Catholicism. But let me just say that I want—I had an experience on psychedelics that 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 um, was so bizarre. Um, it felt as if I, I was—it felt as if uh, heaven was opening up before me, and a blinding light was shining in my eyes. I was I was with a bunch of other people, a lot of agnostics and atheists, and we're doing. We're having this experience, and I have this in, intense experience. This kind of new age guy, and I suddenly have this vision of Christ, uh, and and I I look at the lady next to me, and I remember telling her, God is real, <laughs> and she looked at me and she went, um, she went, oh, I don't want to hear any of that religion and. And I was surprised that I had said it, right, having that experience. And when I told you guys that, you know, it's not that psychedelics took me to God. It's that God came into that experience and took me out of it. That was the moment. That was the moment. And that didn't make me a Christian. That didn't even make me believe in God. But that moment was a pebble in my shoe. I couldn't forget about it. I would be filling up petrol and I would be thinking about it. I would be walking in a shopping mall and I would be thinking about it. And I was like, what do I make of that experience? Because in that experience, what happened was I did not feel the disillusion of boundaries. I did not feel that the mind and the world were one. Instead, I felt that me, myself and my ego actually actually felt Cohesive. I actually felt my ego has a reason. I have a reason for feeling I am me. Of course, I'm an, I'm a body soul composite, right? I'm a unity of body and soul, and I felt that very concretely. And then I felt that that was subordinate to something greater, and that blinding light, that vision of Christ I had, I felt completely. Uh, that I had to submit to that—that that it was something greater than me, and something for the first time in a long time, something bigger than me, something greater than me. I was no longer the universe because up till that point, that was really my worldview. You know, I'm—I'm I'm walking around and thinking, "Oh, I am actually God, <laughs> right?" It's like I was pretty much like Adam and Eve uh, after they'd eaten the tree of you know, I was like, I was, I had basically the, the fruit of the, of the tree of knowledge of tree of good and evil. I basically had that fruit stuck between my teeth, man. It was so fresh and I was walking around thinking, oh, I am, I can define good and evil for myself. I no, this tree is fine to eat from. That was basically me. And I was, um, walking around thinking, well, I'm, you know, this ego is an illusion. This ego, me, Dylan, he, he's not God, but Underneath that, and the world, it's all one. I am actually, uh, I am, I am, right? That's really what I thought. I know how blasphemous that sounds now, but that's really how I thought, and that was really Alan Watts's whole thing, um, that you are God, and um. He would kind of sneak around it and sometimes he would say it directly but if you listen to enough alan watts you'll eventually get to that point that that's what he's trying to tell you you are god uh, but not god in the western sense not god in the christian sense um but you are god more in like the hindu sense this kind of brahman this this underlying source of all creation you are it and you don't allow yourself to realize that Because that allows you to play the game. Because if you knew you were God, it would ruin the game. So you deliberately make yourself forget that you are God. So that you can continue to play this game of yourself. Of continual self-remembering. And death is simply remembering that you're God, but because you're God and you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful, eventually that's going to get super boring and you're not going to want to keep doing that. So what do you do? Well, you go further and further and further into your dreams until the point where you think, you know what, I'm going to go really far into my dream and I'm going to forget it's a dream. I'm going to forget my true identity and my true nature and that feeling is the feeling you're having right now. You're actually God, you just don't know it. That's very... It was very compelling to me psychedelics amplified and galvanized that that feeling that notion but ultimately it fell apart how did it fall apart well i've already told you the first point about how that experience i had where suddenly i felt subordinate to something and of course i mean somebody can hear this and think oh my gosh you're basing this off of a drug you took um no I'm not basing it off solely on that but it was like I said a pebble in my shoe it's an experience I had that that you know I had all all these other experiences that were so similar and suddenly there's this one that's so radically different and you know it's hard to describe just how real these experiences can feel and I mean the the effects they have on your life are certainly real you really do change the way you live your life as a consequence I mean I quit my job as a consequence of psychedelics, and left the country and went to Cambodia. Um, So the consequences are at the very least real. So you can just imagine how real the experience itself feels, right? Okay, but I digress. So the point I'm trying to make here is, I had that experience, I had this sense that I'm subordinate to something greater. And then, then, I'm at home one day, my mom's there, my mom's going through a really rough time, She wants to talk to me. I say, okay, let's walk in the garden. This is, I mean, I'm in that world at that point, right? I'm, I'm attending festivals. I'm, I'm taking, you know, I'm smoking weed, all that. Unfortunately, it's what I'm doing. I'm walking with my mom and remember deep down, I think, you know, I'm actually running the show. I just don't know it. I've made myself forget that I'm actually in control here. And my mom opens up to me and tells me that she's going through a really, really, really rough time, okay? And I didn't realize. I was probably too high to even really fully appreciate what she was going through. I hate to say it. Things are very different now for the better. And my mom was suffering. And I encountered the suffering directly, right, face-to-face. And you know what? That, that worldview, that notion that... I'm God in disguise. It just fell apart when I encountered suffering like that in front of me. It just completely dissolved. I just could not look at my mom and think your suffering isn't real. Your suffering doesn't matter in the bigger picture. I didn't obviously didn't say that to her, but I, I just couldn't even think that. I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to believe actually, you know what, mom, don't worry. This is, you know what, you're actually God and you can laugh at all of these, these feelings you're having uh, because deep down, you know, when you die, you're going to realize, I mean, it just sounded so heartless and it is, that was the realization I had. It's so, it lacks humanity. It seems like the kind of thing that uh, uh, you would think of you know, someone who who has no contact with humanity would think up, right? Somebody who has no con uh, contact with suffering would think up. It's a happy days belief when everything is great. Oh, wonderful! I'm I'm in control. Actually, I can do what I want. Um, you know, I I can I, I underneath everything I'm in control. But when when suffering, when things hit the fan. It completely collapses, and that's when I started being disenchanted with Alan Watts. And you know what disenchanted me the most, and I'm coming back to a point I made earlier, is his own autobiography. When I read this book in my own way, I don't know where the chapter is right now. I'll find it and I'll probably share it on the community tab on the channel. But when I when I read one chapter at the end of one chapter he says I had a home, I had a family, I had a, a like a loving wife and I wanted none of it. Okay, think of, I, I think about that. I I I had a home, I had a loving family, I had children and I wanted none of it, okay? I couldn't relate to him. And the more I read his autobiography, the more I realized that this guy was not adapting his life to truth. He was adapting truth to his life. Okay. Watts was taking Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Confucianism, the Upanishads, Zen, whatever you want to, whatever area he touched, even Christianity, I can send you videos where he does this. And I'll actually talk about one in a second. He would take these things and he would twist them to suit himself ultimately. And when you realize that about Watts, it, it's, it's difficult to respect him because you see it constantly in his lectures, constantly. Okay. So, um, I mean, he, he eventually, as I understand he divorces his wife or they, they split and the kids kind of have to deal with that. Right. And that's obviously tragic. And then he's living this life where he's, he's lecturing on a boat and he's seeing all these different women and he dies an alcoholic. Right. And the sad thing is, is it's like he was such a great speaker and he was so intelligent and it's in a way it was his intelligence. It was his genius that kind of allowed him to be able to take these things that were, you know, not really cohesive and he would find ways to combine things into a narrative that made sense and was very compelling but ultimately it couldn't stand the scrutiny of the real suffering that is present within the world. And I think in some ways that's probably why he had to self-medicate. So that's that's one point I wanted to make. Um another thing I wanted to say about Watts is, you know, once I read his autobiography, I started going back to some of his other videos. And there's a video on YouTube. I'll see if I can find it maybe after the stream um, and share it on the community tab or something. But there's a video where he's talking about Jesus Christ. And I'm sure if you just search Alan Watts talks about Jesus Christ, I'm sure you'll find it. But he he quotes Jesus as saying, um, did I not say that ye are gods, right? And he's using that verse as a justification for his idea that ultimately you are God like we discussed. And I thought, you know what? Let me actually look into that. So I went and I looked into that verse, and I watched a few videos of biblical scholars and different people talking about that verse, and I actually can't tell you exactly what that verse means right now off the top of my head, but I know for certain it's not at all what Watts was trying to make it mean. It, it just isn't. And Watts, you might not know, but he was in the religious life. If I remember correctly, he was an Anglican priest. He was some form of priest, right? So he would have known he would have known the context in which that phrase was being said. I mean, it was a phrase said by, it was something Christ said. It's not just, you know, a random verse in a in, in a book that's less read in the Bible. I mean, it's a pretty important verse. He would have known the connotation. And then to see him deliberately twisting it, I became completely disenchanted with Watts. And so that worldview collapsed. Suffering was now a problem. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember going to my bedroom after talking to my mom and actually praying for the first time in years. And I didn't even really know how to pray. Um, I I was kind of broken, you know. I just said, God, please just help my mom. Help me. I, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I don't even know where I am anymore. And it was really one of those low, low, low points in my life. And, um, you know, I think... I think uh, within a a week or two, my mom got offered a job and things just miraculously got a lot better. And did that make me believe in God? No, definitely not. But it was another pebble in my shoe that I was at such a low place. I finally reached out to God and kind of miraculously, a lot of the problems get solved. My mom is happy again, right? She's not crying in the garden with me anymore. And it's another pebble in the shoe. It's another problem it's another strange unfolding of events that I'm just like well it's just you know we got lucky I I don't want to don't want to think about this too much because my gosh if if I have to become a Christian again I'm just not ready to live such a stringent life and that's the way I was thinking about it at the time so um, that's that's kind of the that's when I'm started moving out of the psychedelic world I, 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 my, my, my worldview no longer could fit in the experiences I was having because the psychedelics were telling me that there are no boundaries. But now I was thinking, and this is a very, very important, um, very important point now I was beginning to think, but why are there boundaries? If, if, if the boundaries between you and me and the world around us are an illusion, why why an illusion why are there boundaries in the first place why the necessity for there to even be a game and you see those are the deeper questions that the that you just don't get to in that worldview um why if this is a game permits suffering and that to me is a lot harder to answer than why a good god would allow suffering right? Because a good God could still allow suffering to bring about a greater good. But if, if it's me playing a game on myself and it's just a game and I'm just going to wake up according to Watts's view, I'm not trying to describe an authentic Hindu view or an authentic Buddhist view. I'm just trying, I'm just describing Watts's view here. If it's just a game that I'm playing on myself, that's very, it's very hard to square real abject suffering with that view, right? And that's ultimately why Alan Watts was wrong. And that that completely collapsed. Okay, so very, very important point. You see, I can't explain how I got out of psychedelics without you understanding what's going on in here at the time, the mindset, the shift that I had mentally reflected my in my actions, right? So that happened. Then I'm kind of lost. I'm kind of don't know where I'm going. I managed to get a job not long after I say that prayer. Again, did that make me believe in God? No, but it was, again, another pebble in the shoe. So I'm working a job. I have an, I'm haven't. finally getting a salary. I have enough money to move out. Finally, you know, I'm early 20s. I'm moving out. And I move in with an, a friend from high school um, who is a Christian, a Lutheran. And um, he and I are flatmates. So we're sharing one flat. Just financially, it's, you know, I don't know what it's like in America or whichever countries you guys are in, but the housing market, uh, housing is pretty expensive. Um, So to stay in a flat, um, uh, you know, being fairly young, we had to split, we had to split the rent effectively. So we're splitting the rent, we're living together. And it's in this time that the biggest changes of my life begin happening. And I am, you know, just before I move out, I'm, and actually even a little bit before that, I start dating, um, a woman who I've been friends with for years. Okay. We were in the same primary school together, same high school together and we were studying through the same college. When I actually came back from Cambodia, she helped me register to study psychology. Actually, I never finished that degree, but I started studying psychology at the University of South Africa. And um, she helped me with that registration because that's actually what she studied, but she did finish, she's got a, she's got a bachelor's degree. So, so I came back and I wanted to see her and thank her for helping me. And don't worry, this is all gonna fit into the story. So we've been friends for years and we've gone out and had coffee for years. And you know we'd had coffee a few times, but over the course of a few years, you know every now and then we'd meet up, we'd go for a hike together, we'd chat, but we're always just as friends. And and genuinely just friends. And um I never knew she she actually she actually liked me um until much later <laughs> until much later. Right? But um we were either seeing other people so we couldn't, you know, hang out, or we were, you know, we both just saw each other as friends. And so I said to her, Hey, do you wanna go have a coffee one day and we can just kinda I just wanna say thank you for all the help you've given to me and while we were having coffee and we were chatting i don't know i think the holy spirit came over me because i just suddenly realized that this has got to be my wife and i was i just completely just i became, i fell so in love with her and this is happening like right before i moved out right so i kind of had that experience that i told you about with my mom i kind of lost my my my, my footing kind of felt a bit wonky and um she's kind of present there with us you know we're dating we're seeing each other and um just before that Just before that time, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting the dates a little bit off. Just before that experience, just before I move out, my parents, early twenties, she and I go on this date. We go for coffee, not a date, but on that coffee, I I realize, oh my goodness, I've this is this is the girl, this is the one. And at the end of that coffee, I look at it and I'm like, hey, um, I really enjoyed this. I want to do this again, but can we do this as a date? and we've been friends for, you know, a long time and she just lights up. She's like, yeah, absolutely I'd love to. And we've, you know, we we've been married now for <laughs> for like uh, almost 2 years now. So our second wedding anniversary is coming up now in in April. So that's that's really wonderful. And we have a child now. We have a daughter and she the our daughter's turning 1 uh in in, in, in march on the 17th of march on saint patrick's day which is pretty cool so um so my wife is she was a catholic okay so she's cradle catholic but she was and she'll admit this she wasn't really practicing she was distant she was not interested in catholicism as much as she would have liked to be okay so i i'm in this flat now I've got a roommate he's Christian I've I've kind of I'm starting to I'm still a little bit in that psychedelic world but I'm starting to move away from it and then what happens is I start thinking about Christianity seriously for the first time in years and I start to decide you know what actually let me start looking into the Bible and this is where you can enter Jordan Peterson Jonathan Peugeot, um and you know what? I actually think Jordan Peterson has had such a big impact on on the culture. And when I say the culture, I'm, I, I, I kind of mean here very specifically millennials and even a, a later portion of Gen Z. Um, millennial guys have been so deeply impacted by Peterson that I think we don't even realize how impactful his 12 rules were to be honest with you i think that now you hear those rules if you ever learned them and you think oh yeah well, it's kind of obvious now but when when that hit the scene that completely challenged me peterson's conversation with joe rogan the first podcast they did where he's talking about religion and you know what it's kind of sad because i think i think people don't want to admit admit that you know, they're a fan of Peterson or something like this. This, there's, there's all these tribes online of people that think, you know, think he's this and think he's that. But he had a huge impact on me. I mean, he, he kind. Of, I mean, you know, I, I was that guy who cleaned my room and tried to really improve, tried to be better, and it really helped. You know, and hearing him talk about all of these archetypal ideas got me interested in Carl Jung and got me interested in psychology. And that's actually why I ended up going and studying it. Like I mentioned, and I started just going down this rabbit hole, right? I read the science of mythology by Jung and Kerenyi. I read the psychology of the East by Jung. I read fantastic Jung's answer to Job. I I actually enjoy Chesterton's take on Job more. Um, but let me just show you the notes in this bad boy that i've made because this is look at that just look at that (laughs) this is so dense you can't believe it um i read synchronicity oh these are beautiful look at these designs right how gorgeous are these oh man beautiful so it's synchronicity and four archetypes and 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 now i'm starting to think about structure in 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 the psyche. I'm starting to think about the mind and the mind's relationship to the world and the mind's and psychology's reliance on God as a guiding principle. So I'm starting to view God in a kind of different way than I've ever seen him before. Um, and then I even tried, to, well, I actually finished this. This is the the biggest book I've ever read, Mysterium Conjunctionis by Jung, which is a, a monster of a book. Um, I I I was trying to kind of look at God in a different view in a kind of symbolic way in a in a new light I was considering arguments for God and for Christ in a new way. And I, I can give you like an example. So Peterson has this great point where he talks about, you know, humanity is always trying to find what is the best person. So if you take a million people and you say, okay, of these million people, let's take out the 100 best leaders. So we've got a million and we distill it down to a hundred of those of that one million, we take the top 100 leaders and we pull them out. What is it about those 100 guys? Those 100 people that make them great leaders, and then you say, okay, well, let's distill it further. Let's let's take it down to 50. So, of that 100, we say, okay, which of these 100 are the top 50 greatest leaders? And you distill it down again. Okay, so. We've distilled it twice now, and we go another layer, we go down to 10. So the leadership qualities within these individuals are getting more and more intense. We've triple distilled now. We're at the level of Jamison, right? We're triple distilled. And then you ask yourself, okay, of these 10, what what does the top guy look like? What is the leader of leaders? And, And Peterson made me realize that, you know, we're always doing this as humans. Who is the king of kings? The king of Babylon, the king of the king of England, the king of you name it, who is their king? What is the what, what is the principle of principles, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, right? And the Bible describes Christ in all these terms. And I, f- I found that very, very fascinating. Um, now, I just bear in mind, right? This is like a stepping stone in my view. So I'm I'm kind of now, I'm, I'm, I'm more willing to see God through a kind of Petersonian lens, through a Jordan Peterson lens, than I am willing to accept the God that I was raised in and the way I viewed God, right? But coming from the sort of psychedelic world and coming from that atheistic background, Peterson made a lot of sense to me in a new way. And then I started going through his book maps of maps of meaning and maps of meaning really gave me a kind of solid breakdown of 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 his of his ideas and it made a lot of sense and i started to see actually religion is not a delusion um religion is actually very very valuable that structure is actually necessary and you know chesterton said you should never tear down a wall until you know why it was built in the first place it's like I realized that I had torn down the structures that I was standing on top of without even knowing why they were there in the first place. Which is, in many ways, what the West is doing to its own culture. Right? It's we're tearing down we're tearing down a wall without knowing why it's there. And um, that was this. So, it, it's difficult to to really put into words how much of an impact it had on me. But it made me view God in a completely new term. Now here's where it gets interesting. Here's where I diverged from 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 Peterson. I'm I'm having all of these experiences. I'm I'm coming from this background of psychedelics and I know that there's mysteries in the universe and I know that there's things that I don't understand and I and I, I have all of these thoughts in my mind from Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna and all of these different thinkers and they're all kind of culminating into this point of there is some central thing which I'm gradually moving towards, or perhaps said better, something that is gradually moving towards me, but I don't know what it is yet. And it looks like it might be what Peterson is describing as Christ. Okay? So I'm I'm but but it's still a symbol. It's still an archetype. It's still the the Bible is still symbolically describing psychological um aptitudes and psychological ideas and i do believe it is doing that but you know i didn't believe it was doing more than that i thought christ is a symbol of the of of the ideal human being but i didn't believe christ had actually raised from the dead right that's a that's a big chasm to jump over there's a reason peterson hasn't jumped it himself yet right it's a big chasm to get from one to the other and when i did it it it, it wasn't necessarily a single moment but i remember um kind of thinking to myself you know what let me, let me treat God. It sounds a bit funny to say it that way, but let me, let me live my life and let me pray and let me, let me ask Jesus to help me and let me talk to him and let me live as if he's there. And if, as if he's not just a symbol, okay. As if he's real, as if he's actively present in every moment of every day. And he's been here through every single step of this long journey. That's taken me an hour and 19 minutes to talk about so far. Let me live that way. And I suddenly, after, you know, praying, thinking about, thinking about all of this, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking, I'm asking Christ just, just come into my life, whatever that means. And the first thing I noticed was a change in disposition in myself. Suddenly for the first time in years I felt hope okay hope for the future It's so hard to describe. It's it's when people talk about the fruits of the spirit They they're like the wind like you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going It's just it's just there suddenly and you're just grateful You don't want to lose it, but you don't know how you got it. So you don't really know if you can lose it It's it's which weird but I just suddenly felt you know, whatever happens things will be okay and you know, just talking about it, I'm kinda of getting goosebumps because I I can't really put into words what that's like. You know, to, 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 to look out of the window in South Africa, which is a country that it's going through quite a lot of difficulties and has for, for many years, and to feel intense hope. And to feel intense and this is the next thing, joy. To feel love. And and then to feel this weight of sin and to kind of start thinking, oh man, if this is true, then everything I know about the world is wrong. Because that means if, if Jesus Christ really is God, that means he actually rose from the dead. And that means that death isn't what I think it is. Like death is gone. Death has been killed. Death has been destroyed. Um, Death no longer has the highest you know if there's anything you can fear um more than death the only thing you really can fear categorically would be god and death was always in that position but then i thought well not only not only is god capable of being feared but he's also capable of being loved so it's not even just that god has taken the place of death it's it's that god is now risen above it and i get to love what that is and again, I'm not trying to make apologetic arguments here for, for Christ, right? But it's it's at this point that I'm now starting to think, okay, I got to start exploring the Bible. So I read a book by Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. It's a Protestant author, but my goodness, it's brilliant. At that time in my life, I, I just, I ate that book up. I actually have a, I don't have a physical copy. I read it on my phone. I bought a digital version of the book. I, I was, you know, I devoured that book. And I suddenly started realizing, you know, all these there's all these questions I had that I'd wrestled with for so long that I kind of just suppressed. Like, why would these guys willingly die for this guy that they, you know, if they were just making it up? Like, I'd die for something that I believe in, but I wouldn't die for like some some myth that we just made up. And then I started thinking, man, these guys were really convincing con men if they managed to fool like the whole world and they actually managed to split history into two demarcations to before their con bc and after their con right like wow these guys were incredible i mean it almost it's almost like more amazing to think that this was a con that this was just a a trick to fool the world um and that that managed to get you know that managed to succeed and, and it, I just started reading more and more about about the the evidence the biblical the, the evidence for the scriptures how we have more manuscripts of the New Testament than any other ancient text and it just it shocked me I just didn't know um i i man i i I think I I'd already had an admiration and a loyalty to God. And then the reasons came later. Now here's, here's where the problem came in. I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I I know I need a community of people. I know I need to start going to a community and my girlfriend is, is Catholic as we discussed. And I don't know what I think about Catholics and I don't know, you know, what they really believe, but I know it's wrong because everybody around me tells me it's wrong and I don't even know about Eastern Orthodoxy at this point, okay? So just keep that in mind. Like, I don't even know about it. It's not even on my radar, to be completely honest with you, uh, for good and for bad. It's just not on my radar. So I, 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 I start asking her questions, and I'm I'm just going off of what I know from my youth, right? And and I, I'm already coming into it with a very negative view, and I start asking her questions, and she can't really answer them for me, and, I, and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to start going to this, this church so I go to this church called Every Nation it's a Protestant church and I I enjoy it and I find it nice and and you know it's a kind of you go into this room and it's you know it's just walls there's no art there's it's just chairs and and there's a, a female pastor who comes up and she says um she she gives a sermon and and then we stand and we don't da- I'm, I'm really trying not to sound rude right but we we, we stand and we dance and we sing and and we, and we worship and i had some awesome moments in that worship right i even crying at points and and cuz man i was like i can't believe i'm here i can't believe i'm actually doing this i can't believe i got here through this wild journey that i've been on and i'm going to this protestant church one week and then my, my girlfriend's like, Hey, come with me to the Catholic church. Just, just join me. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. So I go to the, the Protestant church one week. I go to the Catholic church the next. And then I start looking online and I discover, Oh, there's a Greek Orthodox church in the area believe it or not here in pretoria in south africa so i'm like okay so i go to the greek orthodox church and i kind of go there alone i'm there alone and i I arrive very early and then it's a lot of standing which was awesome i i really loved it and the art is stunning it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful um it's amazing right so I'm, (laughs) i'm like talk about church hopping right i'm denomination hopping Protestant the one week, uh, kind of evangelical, and then Catholic, Novus Ordo, and then Greek Orthodox the next. And I I couldn't understand the Orthodox. uh, uh, I couldn't understand anything. It was literally all Greek to me, but it was stunning. It was beautiful. So I'm now at the point where I'm starting to like the Protestant church, and I'm like, okay, I need to prove my wife wrong. I need to show her how wrong Catholicism is. Oh, my goodness, I did not know what I was getting myself into. So I start. I start looking into Catholicism and and here I'm going to mention a name that a lot of Catholics online, a lot of traditional Catholics don't like. But he had a huge impact on me. Bishop Barron and Bishop Barron, his older videos where he just breaks down Catholicism and and his documentary on Catholicism. If you haven't seen his documentary on Catholicism, regardless of what group you you, you find yourself in, I really encourage you to watch Bishop Barron's documentary on Catholicism. It is fantastic. Even if you just want to see a worldwide view of the most beautiful churches in the world, it's fantastic. That documentary and his his, uh, demeanor, his breakdown, really made me go, oh, okay, hold on. The Catholic Church is not as obviously wrong as I thought it would be. And now I'm, I'm going to Mass more informed. I'm attending Mass with more understanding of what's actually going on. And it takes on a new meaning. Now when I see the Eucharist being lifted, I, I don't believe it yet. But I know that everybody around me believes that that's actually Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist. And I'm looking around and thinking, whoa. These, I mean, these people are literally consuming Christ every week. Some of them every day. And then I went to the Protestant church and it felt more like, okay, this is really missing a lot, like compared to what I was having at the Catholic church. Now I know that's not all Protestant churches. I know that there's classical Protestantism and I know that there's, there's more traditional forms of high Protestantism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the experience I had that specific church, which identified as Protestant, it just, it felt like a pep talk. It felt like a motivational speech to get you through the week. It was kind of like optimism with a sprinkling of spirituality. And then I go to the Catholic Church and and then there's the Orthodox Church and it's just a completely different world. So pretty early on for me, I realized that it's going to become, it's, it's more about Orthodoxy or Catholicism. And I must say, I didn't become Catholic in contrast to something. It's not like I... it's not like I got to a crossroads of orthodoxy, Catholicism, and then I was like, okay, which one? And then I weighed up the arguments. I was already in love, deeply in love with the Catholic Church by the time I even really learned about the debates, the filioque, the essence energy distinction. All of those things came later. I already had a loyalty and an admiration and a love for the Catholic Church before those debates came in. So it's not that I'm not looking into them. It's not that I'm not reading about them this I still have so much to learn I still have so much to do um but I love being Catholic. I I I completely um I to me a living authoritative voice a single authoritative voice just makes sense. It just intuitively makes sense to me. The idea of a bishop of bishops just makes sense to me. Um, I never had a problem with the Pope. Mary took some adjusting to. But every time I had a question about the Catholic Church and I looked into it with goodwill, I found satisfying answers. Not answers that kind of satisfied me, like really satisfied me. It's like I went in, every time I went in expecting to get like some crumbs of an answer, I got given a buffet. Uh, every time I went in thinking, okay, maybe maybe this is kind of covered in the Bible and the Catholics have a justification for this, like a, a little bit, I, I felt like I was just overwhelmed with reasoning. And again, this is not an apologetics video. I can do something like that at a later point. I know some of you might be watching and thinking, but what about this and what about this and what about this? Fair enough, man, I, I get you, I get you. But um, just for the sake of time, let me just say that um, I didn't become Catholic against anything. I I fell in love with it, and I just I just I just completely got consumed with it, and I f- and I, I I really felt, and I still feel, this is Christ's church, this is the church I'm supposed to be in, and it really did feel like I was I was home, for me. Okay, I know not everybody has that experience. I know that this corrupt bishops, I know that this corrupt corruption within the church. This the church isn't weird in having sin, right? It's weird that it admits it, like that's a strange thing about the church, um. And that's true for hopefully for all the churches. Um, and Christ wants us to be one, and I honestly would much rather just get to know you if you're a Protestant or Orthodox than than spend twenty minutes debating debates that people have been having for thousands of years. I think um, the the thing that's missing in the Orthodox Catholic debate is really just the looking at the human being underneath because we we don't just believe belief is not just accepting a sentence on a page it's not just accepting a proposition it's not just propositional knowledge it's also participative knowledge if you're orthodox or protestant there's an element of your belief that is strengthened and galvanized by your participation in the community and in the services you attend at your church Um, and that also affects you. So it's not just a matter of, oh, um, but what about this sentence that you haven't considered? What about this? It's like, yeah, okay, that's important, and I need to look into that, but that's only one element of belief. There's also participative belief, the way you interact in the world, and um, you should look into these things, and I am looking into them, but you know, simply simply telling somebody about an argument online isn't often going to convince them. You need to get to know the person you need to you need to understand how they got to that point. Okay, so this is something I wanted to say. Um, I, I have nothing but love for fellow Christians. I think we got enough enemies as it is not that it's not important to have debates like let's just let's just get our priorities straight guys. Um, uh, Christ wants us to be one, whatever that means. We don't know how Christ is gonna accomplish that, but if you're sincerely loving Christ and you love his word and you believe that the Bible is the freshest thing in the world and that the modern world is actually the oldest thing, the world is actually old and decaying, the Bible is actually the freshest thing in the world. um, If you believe that and you wanna see positive change in the world, then in my book, we're pretty much on the same side. Now, let me kind of begin to wrap this up by bringing in another, well, really the push towards uh, orthodox belief uh, in in not in Eastern Orthodox sense, but just in traditional sense, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, I would sometimes meet people. I would sometimes meet people who love Shakespeare so. Okay, no, that's not true. I've read about people who love Shakespeare so much that they dedicate their whole lives to. To Shakespeare. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've heard that and thought how how could somebody love Shakespeare so much that they want to dedicate their whole life to him? I could never understand that until I read Chesterton. When I read GK Chesterton the first time, when I read Orthodoxy for the first time, I I was so in love with this guy's writing. And this guy's ideas that I just felt like I, I can and I and I, I plan to dedicate the rest of my life to just learning about Chesterton. If you go onto my YouTube channel and you check the banner, the pa- the banner literally says exposing you to the wonderful mind of GK Chesterton. That is my mission on the channel, to make Chesterton popular again, to get people teaching him in schools, to get college students talking about him. I want everyone to know about GK Chesterton that's one of my missions in life I feel like that's one of my callings in life I think that's what God wants me to do in this life and I read a lot of Chesterton I but I still haven't even scratched the surface I mean he's so deep I'm working through orthodoxy right now but let me just tell you a few things that that Chesterton has done for me and I think I'm probably going to make a video something like five things Chesterton has changed for me well I'll go into more detail but let me just give you a few points Chesterton made me realize that reason Um, the madman is not the man that has lost his reason the madman is the man who has nothing left except his reason okay think about that no one is more sure of himself no one has more reasons for everything in the world than the man in the in the insane asylum than the lunatic because if, if he thinks the whole world is out to get him, you can take him down the street and say, well, what about that guy? He doesn't look that interested in you. Well, no, but he, he is. He, that's all part of his plan. But, but I'm, not in, I'm not in on this conspiracy to get you. Well, of course you are. That's what you would say if you were in on this conspiracy. So, see, he, this guy's got a reason for everything. He, he has nothing left but his reason, and that's why he's insane. And so Chester made me realize that imagination... Is God's imageness in us? We create because we are created, right? So, imagination, Chesterton made me realize imagination is a very important part of the Christian life, which is a very interesting idea. A healthy soul has a balance of reason and imagination you need imagination, you need mystery and Chesterton is oh, so beautiful and at the end of one of his chapters in orthodoxy Chesterton says that if you look up at the sun you can't look at it directly it's like blinding it's like kind of misty and it's like a mystery and you can't look at it but it's always there and it's lighting the whole world and everything you see is lighted by the sun and, uh, and yet you can't look at it directly and that's like imagination it, it 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 formulates the world. We 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 look at things. We categorize them with concepts and words and language, and then we understand the world around us. And that's how we perceive things. And yet we can't look at it directly in the same way that we can't look at the sun directly. But then Chesterton says, "Ah, but the moon. The moon. You can look at that. You can look at the moon directly, and it's got a clear outline. It's very pristine. It's cold. You might think the moon is giving off fresh light." But the moon is not giving off fresh moonlight. It's only giving off dead sunlight. It's a mere imitation of the real light, right? So Chesterton's using this imagery. And then he says, so the moon is like reason because it's crisp and defined, and you can see it very, very clearly. The sun is like the imagination. It's it's mysterious, and it's bright, and it lights everything. And then he says, he ends the chapter by saying, and that's why the moon... Being the mother of reason, um, and um, and the, the 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 queen of the night, the moon has given her name to every lunatic, right? Because the root word of lunatic is luna. How how genius is that how beautiful is that right and Chesterton has constantly he is just trying to reach us like it's like just drinking bubbling champagne like it's just the ideas are just bubbling off the page you read you read two sentences and he's hit you with four ideas in those two sentences he's got a reference to someone you've never heard of at the same time he's making a a comparison to two ideas he's comparing two ideas that you didn't think were connected he's showing you how they're connected in a very clever way and he's turning it into a pun he's a genius and i'll spend the rest of my life learning about him and 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 chesedon's article why i'm a catholic um it's not really an article but it's 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 a piece of writing which you can find in one of his books but it's it's effectively why i am a catholic i did a reading for it on the channel when i read that i found that it, Incredibly powerful, incredibly um, motivating and endearing, and that also I, I can't go into all the reasons why cheshol uh, pushed me towards Catholicism, but that's that's another big one, right just his his worldview in orthodoxy, he lays it out how he finds Christianity, and then eventually later on in his career, explains how he found Catholicism it had a huge impact on me. Now you might be wondering, did the fact that my wife was Catholic? Uh, uh, help me become catholic yeah definitely i mean let's be real right if my wife is is um if my wife was orthodox would i perhaps have become orthodox maybe i don't know but she isn't for whatever reason she's not right that wasn't in the cards for us and um maybe i wouldn't have i don't know right but i can tell you that my wife wasn't a fervent catholic right i was working against catholicism i was trying to prove it wrong and i became convinced it's not that i you know needed to become a catholic in order to keep her so for for what that's worth you know people always ask me you know how much did my relationship affect my conversion it did affect it but um again i was working against against uh against it in a way not 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 towards it not not for the benefit um she was she was not really fervent but things are very different now things are um you know uh completely different now so Those are just a few thoughts. Um, Let me just see if there's anything else I have to mention. Okay, and then of course, one of the reasons Catholicism appealed to me is I didn't want a church that moves with the world. I want a church that moves the world. I don't want a church that adjusts its teachings to the age. Um, Let me just hit off a few quotes here, because any church that adjusts its teaching to the current age is going to be a widow in the next age, because the teachings of this current age are just going to disappear in the next hundred years. But the church's teachings need to stay consistent. Uh, The Protestant churches that I was experiencing, just adapting, modernizing, trying to keep up with the world, which is always dying right? The church is the one thing that's ever new and ever fresh. So I needed a church that was consistent, orthodox in its faith, that wasn't going to change. I know people have a lot of problems with the Catholic church. Understandably, um, the church is full of sinners. That's no surprise to me. That's what the church pretty much guarantees you're going to experience. And um, I, I I found in the church a kind of a kind of consistency and a stability that I've been longing for my entire life. And to see that that uh, ancientness, that tradition, that historical root uh, behind everything. I also have a deep love for the medieval age and medieval culture and just everything just kind of fit together perfectly. Um, And it it just has God's fingerprints all over it. And that is how I went from... Protestant as a youth, atheist in my teenage years, new age in my early 20s, to Christian, to Catholic Christian right now. I still have a lot to learn. Um, I'm still very young. I'm 27 now. Um, Existential Delight is just my journey documented. It's me sharing Chesterton with all of you and sharing my experiences and my thoughts with all of you. And um, I've met a lot of amazing people over the last three years and the last four or five years, actually, through this. this, And I, I thank God for it every single day and um yeah i i i want my channel to hopefully be a place of dialogue where people from different faith traditions can talk um and have fun and a riveting debate and discussion and dialogue but thank you very much to all of you who have listened if you've listened from the very beginning my goodness um god bless you thank you so much uh the channel is is growing we just passed 20,000 subscribers which is amazing um the the channel's doing well um if you want to support the channel please subscribe if you're new here um i'm I'm making content as you've probably heard about chesterton and also just about i'm I'm trying to be the opposite of an existential crisis really i'm trying to make you feel good about life because life is wonderful the mystery of life is the sanity of life i hope you guys enjoyed this chat um please uh Check out my other videos if you're into this stuff. I've got a whole playlist on Chesterton if you want to get into his work. If you liked any of the things I said about him, go and check that out. Let me know in the, in the comments or in the live chat. What did you think of this? Did you enjoy this? Did you learn anything from this? Did this maybe make you think about things in a different way? Um, hopefully, I didn't say anything heretical <laughs> at any point. And uh, it's been a good hour and 43 minutes. It's pretty late here in South Africa. I think I'm going to end things up now. But let me have a quick look at the chat and see if you guys have anything you wanted to say. Um, And let me see if there's any questions I missed. So, Maxon says, I just re-listened to the Jordan B. Peterson versus Zezek debate. Any Zezek fans? Hearing JBP talk about not being ideologically possessed greatly challenged my fundamentalist worldview. Maxon, I'm a huge... (laughs) uh, Let me try and do my impression. I'm a huge Zezek fan. Um, You know... uh, <laughs> um, you know, happiness for me is a very non conformist category. Uh, I'm a huge Zizek fan. I actually have a few videos of Zizek on the channel. I actually have a, a, a video where Zizek and Peterson chat to each other. And um, in fact, uh, I, I have a few of his books on my shelf at the back. Zizek is great. I love Zizek. I mean, obviously, we don't agree on everything i mean find me one person who agrees on 100 percent of what you think what we any of us think right but i love zizek uh zizek is, makes philosophy fun in my book father john says i never liked jung for some reason it's like he uses god as an instrument to his own fulfillment or like he figures out god and supersedes him or breaks free of him in a kind of gnostic way yeah i think that's a fair um that's a fair way to put it i mean i I had, I would say, a Jung phase, right? So I, I think Jung just he went very far and very deep, and I, I his ideas are so fascinating, and he's a very interesting guy. Obviously, he has so many interests and everything, but um, eventually I got to a wall, and I was like, well, I need to go, I need to go further. This can't, it can't all just be psychological. Um, even though you know, Jung would say that psychology is you know, man's mind is, is shaping the world, which is in part true, but eventually I think I needed more and even more than Peterson could give. And I think at the bottom of the rabbit hole is Christ. Uh, Keenan says, yeah, I think Peterson does the same thing. He uses God and Christ as a utility instead of actually having true faith. Yeah, that can be the, the worry. Um, Father brown says i get the sense peterson is being broken down his story has the ingredients for a sincere, sincere conversion that would be big headlines right if peterson converted oh my goodness can you just imagine uh we'll pray for it guys let's pray for it and then Maxson says fair enough man yeah um fair enough man um those bloody neo-marxists uh peterson has influenced my speech in more ways than i'm willing to admit uh and fair enough man is definitely one of those lines i've gotten from him fair enough man father uh thanks for john brown i thanks for that feedback and then Maxon says i love this video i was raised prod but became disillusioned your channel is great because it unites my four faves jordan b peterson gk chestnut slavoy and norm mcdonald thank you for all your content especially LoFi. thanks Maxon. and more lo-fi is eventually coming uh at some point i've i've not dropped it I've just taken a little break at the moment. And then I, I started a poll at the beginning of the chat and I see that actually most of you are uh, equal ties, 36% of Catholic and other, 20% of you are Eastern Orthodox and 8% of Protestant. Well, big welcome to all of you and thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed this content. Wishing you all a wonderful Sunday further. Uh, my name is Dylan. This has been Existential Delight. I'm going to see you in the next video. There's no further questions, so I'm going to end it there. I hope you enjoy this conversion. I now have a video I can refer people to. God bless you and I'll see you in the next video. Goodbye for now. Oh, uh, Keenan! Thanks so much for the fun, <laughs> for the money. Thanks so much for the super chat, Keenan. I appreciate that. I'll, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and thank you for that Western currency. Trust me, the exchange rate's really bad, so that uh, Western currency is really appreciated. It goes a long way. So, thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Goodbye for now. God bless.